But in many ways, Jesus is pictured as a boat, as a vessel through which we travel in life. And I hope that we'll see that more and more in the midst of the study we're entering into this morning. Some of my best memories in life come from from boats. I remember when I was growing up, every winter, my granddad would travel from Colorado to what he'd call Old Mexico. He always distinguished New Mexico and Old Mexico. He'd go down to Mexico and, and uh, we'd go yellowtail fishing together, and I remember that. And, and then when he retired, he got a bass tracker boat. And uh, I'd spend my summers out on the farm, and, and uh, we'd do a little work and a lot of fishing normally is how that works, you know. And we'd get out there and we'd fish together. And, a lot of great memories on, on those boats my granddad had. Our family had boats when I was growing up, and we had sailboats mostly, and, and I remember uh, heading over to Catalina as a young guy on those boats, and that was always fun. And, and even now, my dad has a boat here in Oceanside, so I have all the joys of boat ownership without having to actually own a boat. It's just great. It's working out very well, okay? And uh, I enjoy boats. And so I thought as we wind down the summer season together that it would be good to enjoy a few Sundays together uh, on the boat, so to speak. We're going to get in the Word of God and, and look at these passages where God uses a boat to teach us a lesson. Now the Bible is full of references to ships and boats and, and God uses them in analogous ways to help us learn and grow. And as we're getting started in this series, we're going to see how how many of the boats in God's Word teach us of God's power and of God's protection. They teach us of God's ability to purify us in, in the midst of the stormy times of life. God is a master at capturing meaning in every part of life. And so we're going to step away from the dock, so to speak, and we're going to spend some time on the water in this series we're calling Lifeboats. Now, all of the boats that we're going to find in the Bible I have a lesson to teach us, but there's no boat in the entire Word of God that is more well-known than the boat we just simply call the ark, the ark. And when I say the ark, you're probably not thinking of the little ark that was put together for baby Moses, right? You're thinking of the giant ark that was built by a man by the name of Noah at the command of God, and, and it was an ark, the Bible tells us, that went through this time of colossal global flooding, and God used it to save Noah and, and his family. As God had created the earth and was reviewing what he had created in the time of Noah, the Bible tells us in Genesis 6 and verse 5, by way of background, that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now that's quite a statement. God was looking at creation, specifically at humanity, and God concluded that, that every thought was wicked, that people literally were sitting around trying to come up with more evil ways to do things, more perverse ways to do things. And God, when He evaluated humanity and all that we were, we were doing, He said this, Enough! It stops here. And God can do that because He's God. He has the prerogative as creator to also be our judge. And God came to a judgment in that time, in that moment. He saw what humanity was doing. He said, enough. No more. Being God, he again has the prerogative to judge evil. But aren't you glad he's a gracious God? And he had the prerogative to judge evil. But being a gracious God means this. He always provides a way of salvation. And because he's a holy God, he was not going to let things continue as they were, but he's a gracious God, and so he made a way of, of salvation. And, and his way was for Noah to build something that had never been built before. He ordered the building of this huge boat we call the ark. Now, God also directed 
Noah to invite others to join him in the ark. In the New Testament, Peter's writing and he tells us a little bit about the message that Noah was proclaiming to those around him in his day. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, we're picking it up kind of mid-sentence, so to speak, but the point is made in this verse. The Bible says this, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. And, and that verse I just read there, there's a statement about Noah. The Bible calls him the preacher of righteousness. Now, that would be a message that proclaims how right God is, how wrong humanity in his day was, and how we could be made right through faith in God. It was a message, yes, of righteousness, but it was a message of reconciliation. It was a message of redemption. It was a message of how we could have a relationship with God. As Noah preached God's message of salvation to the populace of the world, he also prepared for life after the flood. And many of you will remember maybe a year or two ago, I spent some time talking about Noah's Ark and we really spent more time before the flood. Today I'm going to talk about a little more time during the actual time where the earth was being flooded. But by way of review, you'll remember that, that Noah was directed by God to go out and to gather animals to come and, and to come into the ark. And, and uh, so he's preaching and he's building and people are rejecting his message. Thankfully his family didn't. His family did come on the ark with him. No, no other people did. And the Bible tells us a little bit about the ark. It was a huge craft. The measurements in God's Word are given in cubits, and most people think a cubit's about roughly 18 inches. And, and so that would make the ark about 450 feet long and 45 feet high and 75 feet wide. There was no rudder or engine. Uh, it was more of a barge is what we might call it. God would take care of the directing of it and so forth. It didn't really need a rudder. God was in charge of all of that. And so this ark was more like a barge than a cruise liner and and one author who studied such things had this to say he said various engineering studies have revealed that a that such a design produces a vessel that's incredibly stable and almost impossible to capsize the basic design is very similar to the massive super tankers that ferry oil from the Middle East to North America now if we take the numbers from the Bible and we take a look at the ark we would learn there was about 1.5 million cubic feet of space on the ark. This was an enormous, enormous vessel. In addition to Noah and his family, the Bible tells us he brought one of every kind of, of land animal on this ark. Now, as uh, I began to read that, I looked and, and, and I thought, well, that, that doesn't hardly sound to me like it'd be enough space. But how many of you think Noah's probably as uh, smart as the rest of us? And he probably, given the choice, would not pick a full-grown animal he might pick a more moderately sized animal and there aren't many animals the size of an elephant or a dinosaur uh, of course Noah would have uh, known what dinosaurs were all about and so he would have done his best I'm sure to pick more moderately sized of the bigger animals and and the typical size of an animal if you put all things together would be about the size of a dog and so he would go out and he's getting these animals as God has commanded the Bible calls them kinds every kind of land animal and the word kind used in the bible it doesn't refer to breeds noah would have for example just needed two dogs and and the various breeds would have come later now some have estimated the number of kinds of animals are maybe sixteen thousand on planet earth 
Now, that number varies greatly. There are different ways to uh, come to what that number would be. Let's say for the sake of our study that it's the biggest number that I've found anywhere. There's 50,000 different kinds of animals. If that were to be the case, and if the average animal were about the size of a dog, uh, that would mean the ark would have been filled up with these animals, and it would have taken 40% of the space to do that, given these numbers, and the rest then would have been used for food, for supplies. What I'm saying today is this. The ark was an amazing, amazing vessel. And by God's grace, Noah literally built an ark. He accomplished his mission. He overcame the odds. He worked hard. He was a man of faith. And, and he changed the world as God worked through his life. Now much of that is a review. We've, we've considered that in, in previous studies. But as we, as we look today, I want us to consider the time when the ark was lifted off the face of the earth as the floodwaters came. I want us to consider that, that moment. I want us to look carefully and see what truths can be found that can help us in our lives this morning as we look back to really just these first few pages in the Word of God. And if you're, if you're able today, I'd like to invite you to join me in standing at a reverence for the Word of God as we look this morning to Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7. And uh, we're going to begin today reading in verse 13. Genesis 7 and verse 13. The Bible says this, In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife, and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind, and all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark to and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased, and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth, and the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon the earth. And the ark went upon the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Now I'm going to read on, but people have asked me, Pastor, do you really believe that when the Bible tells us of this flood that it was a global flood? And, and I do. And if someone were to say, well, how could you possibly believe that? I would have to say because really that's exactly what the Bible is telling us here. This was a global flood. This was an amazing, amazing uh, cataclysmic event. And, and the Bible tells us the waters prevailed. Let's look at verse 20. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail. And the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of life. Of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things and the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth in hundred and fifty days. I want you to look to the last three words in the end of verse 23. And I'm glad these words are in the Bible. We're going to think of this today. These words say this, in the ark. How many of you would agree with me that it would have been better to have been in the ark than not to have been in the ark? 
And God's Word tells us today how we can know in our lives that we're in the ark, so to speak. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of unpacking this, this uh, study with you this morning and getting a good foundation built for more studies to come. And, and uh, I want us to take a moment now just to ask God's blessing on this time as we look to Him in the Word. Our Father, thank You that You are a loving and a gracious God. And we know that You are holy. We know that You are Lord, that You are sovereign, and, and that You are judge. But God, we're so thankful to know that we can find in You a God who who is providing for us at every turn of life an opportunity to come to know you and, and if we know you, to grow in our relationship with you. And Lord, we pray that this study we're embarking on today would be a study that would help us to understand you and how you work in our lives even more. I thank you for each person here today. Bless them, help them, encourage them. Uh, may those that don't know you today come to know you and, and may all of us have a little better understanding of how you work in our lives. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we step on board the ark today, we would have to be impressed with the size. An enormous, enormous vessel. The world had never seen anything like it. It was an amazing, impressive uh, 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 thing that, that Noah put together. As we walked around on deck, we would uh, take in all the sights. I mean, it was a floating zoo in time. It was amazing. We would take in all the sounds. And you can imagine with all those animals, all the different sounds, and we probably would have to take in some of the smells. Did you ever think about that one, okay? There, there was a lot of things, interesting things happening on the ark at that time. Uh, there would be a lot to see. But something tells me that when the rain started coming down, there probably was a hush over the entire ark. I don't know if you've ever been around when, when there was a clap of thunder and, and the, the rain started pounding. Typically, people get a little bit quiet. Did you hear that? Can you hear that? And, and something about the, the sound of a, of a rainstorm coming, usually it, it quiets us down. And, and uh, I'm sure that all on board the ark, when the rain began to come down, were feeling a little bit tense at all that was taking place. Obviously, Noah was a man of faith. Noah trusted God. And ultimately, God provided salvation, but it was Noah's faith in God that allowed him to receive that salvation. But practically, I have no doubt that when that rain started coming down, there was a little apprehension in the heart of Noah. And, and I'm sure that there was a little bit of fear even as he now is entering into a time in his life that he'd never experienced before. Some have said that faith is the absence of fear. I've come to the place in my life where I don't believe that any longer. I don't believe that faith is the absence of fear. In fact, I think it could be stated that were it not for a little fear in our lives, we would never have a need for faith at all. Many times, fear and faith go hand in hand. Now, faith is to lead the way, but fear is a part of it all. I think the psalmist would agree with what I just said. The Bible in Psalm 56 and verse 3 says this, and I want you to listen to the wording of it all. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. When I have fear, God, that's when I'm going to trust you. When I don't know what to do, God, that's when I'm going to trust you. When, when I'm a little uneasy about with what all's going on in my life, God, when the fear is there, I want my faith to be there as well. It's been said, fear knocked at the door, faith answered, and no one was there. Faith in God always defeats fear. Now, when the Lord called me to be a pastor, I knew that there was a part of pastoring that, that uh, I just couldn't get away from. And that's speaking in front of people. That's kind of part of being a pastor. That's part of the job, so to speak. And, and I began to think about that. 
and uh, thinking of standing in front of people every week and, 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 and speaking and and uh, I, I still don't know as much as I want to know. I read books all the time on how to be a better communicator. I, I know a lot more now than I did when we started. But I, I've got to tell you, after 15 years now in the very same church, uh, it, it hasn't gotten any easier. I don't have to study any less. In fact, I know sometimes pastors move from church to church. And I've speculated. I wonder if they do that sometimes so they could preach those older messages. It would just be a little easier that way, you know. But I've got to get in and I've got to study. But I want you to understand this. I get nerves about speaking in front of people. And that hasn't gone away in all these years. I mean, every Sunday morning, I feel like my heart's about to beat out of my chest. And as we get closer and closer to the service starting, I, I feel uh, something going on inside of me. And, and uh, again, I've, I've probably learned how to deal with it a little better than maybe I did in week one. But never have I come to the place where there's a total absence of fear. Many studies, many studies have revealed that public speaking is one of the greatest fears people have. And I didn't need one study to help me understand that. I just knew that all by myself, okay? I, I know how that works. So I have a fear of doing what I'm doing now. But I do it every week, multiple times. Why? Because I have faith that this is God's plan for teaching His Word. If anyone were to ask me, Steve, do you believe in God's plan of preaching? I would answer this way. With all of my heart. With all of my heart. Someone would say, well, why? Because what the Word of God tells me. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Steve, don't you know some people think what you do and what you've given your life over to doing is foolishness? I understand that, but I am more interested in what God thinks of what I do than what the world at large thinks of what I do. God has chosen to use the foolishness of preaching to, to transmit the message of salvation. So, I believe that, but I live in an earth suit that has an involuntary response that when I'm coming to stand in front of people, I get nervous. And I think we could say that's a fear. My heart beats and, and I get a little uptight about it. But I do it. Why? Because I believe that is God's plan. What I seek to do in life and, and what we're to seek to do in our lives is to do what we do, not because it's our own plan, but because it's God's plan. And I don't think Noah was any different. I'm sure he was huddled with his family in whatever part of the ark he thought was the strongest, as if that would have made a difference. I'm sure they were all there and they were feeling a little uptight about things. I'm sure his mind was racing. I'm sure his heart was beating like a drum. But Moses did what he did because he believed in God's plan. That's why he did what he did. More than that, he believed in the God of the plan. If we look to this text today, just some simple thoughts that I want us to consider. If you have your notes nearby as we, as we think of this together today, I want us to learn this. God's command reveals his plan God's command reveals his plan now as we look at verse 16 I want us to think of these words together the Bible says this and they that went in went in male and female of all flesh and and we could read on and we will but I want I want you to think of this statement as God had commanded they went in the way that God commanded them to go at the time that God wanted them to go. And we may not always know in a given moment why God is doing what He's doing. But if you're a Christian, God always makes it clear what we're to be doing. We may not always know why God is doing what He's doing, but God will always make it clear what it is that we are 
to be doing. Now, I have learned in the course of my life that when it is raining, and we're studying about the flood, when it is raining in life, that's probably a pretty poor time to get in a very long discussion with God about, God, why is there rain? That's actually a really good time to say, God, what is your command so that I can do your plan for my life? Friends, listen, it's better to learn, uh, uh, to learn what he would have us to do in a moment and to talk about the why later. When God speaks, we need to obey. God, what's your plan? Well, it's revealed through his command. Some time ago in the, in the 80s, I went to an NFL football game. It was on Christmas Eve. It was a Monday night, and to kind of put the time frame together for you, it was the Rams against the Raiders, and they were both L.A. teams at that time. So I'll take you back a few years. And, and I remember we were there. It was exciting. It was uh, Christmas Eve, and my friend and his dad got tickets and invited me and my dad, and I'd never been to an event like that, and, or, nor since, with, with my dad where we went to a game uh, like that. And, and uh, I was so excited. We got there on Christmas Eve, and as the game started, Santa Claus parachuted onto the football field. And I thought that was very nice. I had no doubt. He was busy that evening. He took the time to parachute on the football field. And, and man, it was exciting. And uh, here's the Rams, and here's the Raiders, and they're going after it. And at that time, they both were reasonably good. The Raiders were, were better at that time than the Rams, but uh, they were going after it. And uh, I, I remember when the game was about half done, nobody in, in our whole area was thirsty. What I mean by that is they all had well drunk it, okay? What I mean by that is they were all drunk by this time, okay? And uh, uh, there's just a, a, a few folks here that aren't, and it seemed like everybody behind us was, and, and uh, they, they started hurling insults, you know, and it was kind of good-natured, and then it got a little uglier, and, and then they started hurling beers at each other. And then before long, they started hurling themselves at one another. And when I say a fight broke out, that's a total understatement. I mean, this was like a riot. It was unbelievable. And there were Rams fans, and there were Raider fans, and, and uh, I don't know a lot about this stuff, but it kind of looked like they both were, were from maybe different gangs, and maybe they found uh, uh, they were living vicariously through how their field was doing on the field. I won't psychoanalyze all of the inner city problems, but there were some problems that night. They were trying to kill each other. And uh, as they're doing all this, it's just erupting. It's going off, and it's just, if you've ever been in a situation like that, it's, it's interesting. And I remember that when all this is happening, my dad looked at me and he said, Steve, lay down. Well, I didn't want to lay down. People had been dumping their beers over and it was running down. There were peanut shells and trash. And, but something in the tone of my dad's voice made me think, now is not a good time to say, what do you want me to lay down for? Why do I have to lay down? Everyone else isn't laying down. And so I just laid down. And I remember my dad laid down literally right on top of me. And about that time, bodies started rolling over our seats. I remember there was an uh, elderly couple sitting behind us and, and she didn't get a chance to lay down and she got pushed over and her legs couldn't go her leg horribly broke and her husband's trying to defend her and then he's getting beat up and, and before I knew it man there were, there were police come running in and finally police came in in riot gear it was an unbelievable scene now that's not a perfect analogy but here, here's the point I want to bring from all that here we are in a moment in time a flood is on the voice of the father said lay down that made no sense to me but in that moment, it was a very poor time to have a long, drawn-out discussion with, why do you want me to do this? And why now? And why here? And why me? That was a really good time to just obey the voice of the Father. 
And after the fact, if I had any questions, I could have said, all right, Lord, let's talk about this. You see, God doesn't mind us asking questions, but when God gives a command, that reveals his plan. And our desire in life should be to fulfill his plan to do what he gives us to do. I like the way the psalmist said it in Psalm 48 and verse 14. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even unto death and if you're a believer when the body dies physically we're still very much alive spiritually we can ask God a lot of questions then as well let God be your guide even unto death follow the Lord follow his command and you will fulfill his plan now God doesn't need to speak to us audibly as he did to Noah why well because we have the word of God we can open the Bible and find God's commands for our life and therein we'll find his plan there's not an issue of life that is not addressed in this book we call the word of God God's command always reveals his plan. There's another thought for us in this text. When the rain of life comes down, God can lift us up. When the rain of life comes down, God can lift us up. Listen to these words in verse 17. I, I love the way it says this. And the flood was 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased, they got more, and bear up the ark, and it, the ark, was lifted up above the earth the rain came down and increased and the rain as it increased literally was the source that lifted up the ark now that's how a boat's supposed to work boats work better when the water's on the outside of them than when the boat is filled with water on the inside now there is no promise in the bible that god will remove the rain from our lives in fact there's a promise that we're all going to get stormy seasons in our lives from time to time in Matthew 5 Jesus made it clear that ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust the Bible makes it clear all of us will endure seasons of rain and adversity and difficulty in our lives but God has taught us through this ark in Genesis chapter 7 that he has the power to allow us to rise above it all how ironic is it that floods in our lives add depth to our lives and that which comes down has the ability to lift us up to take us places we never could have gone before many times those occasions that we go through that we think are so hurtful and difficult and I know they are hurtful and difficult but may we never forget that by God's grace those things that come down on us like that have the ability to lift us up and help us to learn and grow and move in life. I'm thankful for that. You see, if you've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, born again into God's family, you've been made new in Him. And you've been built to float above the flood. You see, it really didn't matter if that flood was three feet or, or 300 feet or 3,000 feet or 30,000 feet deep that was irrelevant if you're in an ark that'll float it does not matter how deep the flood gets some of you are in flood waters right now let me tell you something if you're on board the ark of Jesus Christ so to speak you can be comforted in the reality that as the waters increase it'll bear up the ark and it'll add depth and richness to your life that can only come through a storm of that magnitude the Bible says the ark was lift up above the earth one thing I know about being lifted up in our in our lives is this we can't do it ourselves you just can't do it yourself 
Now look, I, I know pop psychology, I'm supposed to tell you something. You can see it and you can believe it, you can achieve it and all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm here to tell you today, here's my encouraging statement for you. You ready? You might want to write this down. You can't do it. You just can't do it. You can't lift yourself up. The Bible makes that clear. We have to trust the plan of God and the God of the plan. And one thing I know is that when I think that I can lift myself up, I'm being prideful, and pride actually does the opposite. It, it leads me down. Uh, listen to how Proverbs tells us this. Proverbs 16 says this. Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before going down. A fall. Pride leads us to a fall. And uh, that's just clear. We simply don't have what it takes without God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves. The Bible lets us know that our sufficiency is of God. But there is a commodity in our lives that helps us to rise above. It gives us a little buoyancy, so to speak. James, the brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, told us about it. He said this, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. Get full of yourself, you're going down. Humble yourself, God will lift you up. Buoyancy. Humility is the personal flotation device of life. Humble yourself. When it's raining, know that. God can lift you up. I just love the fact that God can use a trial in life, get this, to take us higher. How good is God to let a flood be the catalyst that takes us to heights in life we never could have gone without it? I'm grateful for a God who can work that way. I think of a songwriter who wrote these words, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you don't see His plan, when you can't trace His hand, trust His heart. Let me tell you something about the heart of God that the ark teaches us. He's always got a plan. And His plan as we follow it always leads us to go higher in life. As we continue looking together, I, I want to finish with just a simple thought, but it's this, God has a plan and you're in it. God has a plan and you're in it. In these last verses, if we were to take the time to read through them, we could see there's kind of a theme. And the last verses, the Bible says this, they that went in, words, 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 remained alive. Those that went in the ark, they remained alive. Those that didn't, they didn't. But those that went in, they remained alive. Now Noah believed through this entire experience that God was God and being God Noah believed he had a plan for his life. Noah's heart was to get in on what God was doing. He did so by faith. And because of his faith in God's plan, he was saved by God through this plan. Now, listen to how the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament speaks of all of this. The Bible says, By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear. That's interesting. Noah, why'd you do all that God told you to do? Why'd you build that ark? Why'd you get the, uh, your family in there? Why'd you get the animals in there? Why? I was moved with fear. Now, we're going to think about that. Moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Moved with fear. You can wonder, well, what were you afraid of? It's clear he feared God. 
That is to say that God was not just number one on his list. Now, there are a lot of people of faith today, Christians, who, if we were to be really, really honest, we'd have to say, God's really not number one on my list. He's maybe number four, or seven, or two, but he's not number one. But there's, there's somewhere else to go in life rather than having God number one on your list, and this is the idea of, of an appropriate fear of God. Noah, I believe, would say it this way. God's not number one on my list. He's my whole list. Like, that's it. That's it. Give me your list, Noah. God. It's the list. And everything I do in life is because of what I receive from God. Noah just believed, you know something? God has a plan here. And when I follow God by faith, I'll have an opportunity to be a part of all that God would have me to be a part of he was so committed to God he could have cared less that he preached a message that all of the world thought was just absolutely ridiculous and I want you to know there are times in my heart as a preacher where I know I'm going to stand up and say some things that even Christians in our church think are ridiculous and God has to routinely bring me to the place in my life where I have to show my sermon notes to him God, do you like this? Is this pleasing to you? Is this consistent with your word? Is this what you would have to be said? The wrong question is, what does everybody want to hear? The question is, what does God want to be stated? And there are times where I'm preaching the truth, and I know there are people in our church who think, Pastor, is absolutely ridiculous. And the unsaved people, they think I'm out of my mind. I'm the, I'm the radical, right, crazy person, right? And, and, and Noah was a man that had such a faith in God, such a fear of God, he said, I'm not going to fear everybody else. You could think my methods are ridiculous. You could think my message is ridiculous. But you know something? I don't fear you as much as I fear him, he would have said. So I'm just going to go ahead and do what God tells me to do. It's been said, if you fear God, you don't need to fear anybody else. Man, you can have a courage emerge in your life when you have that appropriate, holy reverence and respect for God. He was wise, Noah was. Because in these verses before us, we were to take the time to go through them, the the Bible says the waters prevailed. The waters prevailed exceedingly, verse 19. The waters prevailed, verse 24. Listen, the, the flood came and the waters prevailed on the earth, but the waters did not prevail over Noah and his family. Why? Because they were on the ark. He was saved because he was in the ark. Now I'm glad to share today that God can use the tough times in our lives for a purpose that is consistent with his plan but I want to remind you today that his plan transcends our time God's plan is an eternal plan it's bigger than we might think and the only way to be a part of his plan is to accept him by faith as Noah did just as Noah's sermon of salvation from the coming flood was extended to all God's plan today is that his message would be shared with everybody, that everybody can come to him by faith and have a relationship that will bring spiritual salvation through faith in Christ. No, we are not going to get in an ark as as Noah did. But as we enter into a relationship with God, a relationship that lasts forever, we're entering into an ark of sorts to use that analogy. Think of that. Noah said that the rain was coming. Everybody laughed at him, but then it came. And friends, I want you to know something. The Bible teaches us that our physical lives are limited. The writer of Hebrews made a statement I think we need to hear often, to be reminded of. It's appointed unto men once to die. 
Now, I don't want to be morbid today, but I think it would do all of us well to be reminded from time to time that we have a shelf life. It's not going to go on forever and ever as it is right now. It's a point on the men wants to die. But after this, and we need to think of this as often as we think of the other, the judgment. Now, I'm not the judge. We know that. And you're not the judge for me. I know that. God is. And there are two ways that people are judged. First of all, they'll be judged. If they're not believers, they'll be judged for their sins. If they're not Christians, their sins have not been forgiven by God. They'll have to pay for that. And there's a place where people go to pay for that for all of eternity. It's a place I don't even like to talk about, but Jesus talked a lot about it, and the Bible calls it hell. And for people of faith, the judgment is more for that which we've done with our lives, and, and it's not for penalty, but for reward. But all of us in this room, at some point, barring the return of Christ, our physical lives will end, and, and we'll step across that threshold, so to speak, and our lives will be judged. What can a boat teach us? I'd say it can teach us a lot. It can teach us a lot. The ark teaches us that God has a plan. He looked at the world and said, look at this. Enough. An outsider may have said, you know something? Uh, this whole thing's gone horribly wrong. God's made a terrible mistake. But God said, no, I've got a plan. I've always got a plan. This plan was in our... God has a plan. And through faith, we've learned we can be a part of it all. The question today is this. Are you on the ark? I'll word it this way. Are you in a relationship with God? You know that you're going to spend forever with Him. The ark, as we've seen, was made of wood, just like the cross upon which Jesus died. The wood on the ark was covered with what the Bible calls pitch, but the Hebrew word for pitch in the Old Testament is the same word for atonement, the word that references that which Jesus did for us with the covering of His blood. And so in the wood we see the cross and the in the pitch and the covering in the in the atonement we see the blood of Jesus the water couldn't get in because of that there was only one ark and there's only one way to God and that's through faith in Jesus Christ God the Son it's through faith everyone who came into the ark was saved and all who come to Jesus will be saved as well Jesus in John 6 gives us something we need to think about he said the father giveth all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Let me tell you what that means. That means the door on the ark is wide open. And Jesus is saying, hey, a flood's a-coming. Come on. Come to me. Come to me. I know you have sins. I can forgive those. I've, I've paid the price. I've taken care of everything. Trust me. Turn from what you're doing. The Bible word for that is repent. Turn from what you're doing and, and come to me. Trust me. Repent and believe. Now, as we read in, in Genesis 7, in reference to even Genesis 6, the time came where the Bible says the Lord shut them in. God shut the door. And there's coming a day where this offer that God's extending to everybody for salvation, it's going to come to an, to an end and the door's going to be shut. That's why it's really important that while we hear a message like this, that we allow it to evaluate our lives. And we allow it to bring us to the point where we deal with this matter. Do I have a relationship with God? And, and if we're people of faith, the, the uh, uh, area we need to be thinking is, am I living by faith? 
I mean, am I afraid of what the world thinks of me as I follow God or is, is my appropriate fear and reverence of the Lord leading me to live? What's motivating me in life? Am I honoring the Lord? Do I, do I live my life with an understanding that He does have a plan and am I plugging into what He's doing? Or am I, as a Christian, just kind of a sheeple, as we say, not a she sheep in God's pasture, but, but kind of the type of person that just takes, takes our cues from the culture and we just do whatever everyone else does, you know? I think this ark in the Old Testament can teach us so many great lessons. Are, are we willing to learn that? I want us to think on this today and in the weeks to come. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for this morning.